you want to feel secure so if you're on a kind of in a secure job even if it doesn't really tick all of your boxes it still ticks the box of security and and change is scary whatever it is it's, it's just we're, we're not really wired for change so so we like things to be stable and secure and yeah, that can lull a lot of us into this okay at least i've got a secure job i shouldn't really complain everything else looks too risky Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. My guest on the show today is Tiari Gregorius. So Tiari is many things, but firstly, he's a victim of another victim of my terrible pronunciation. And secondly, he's been on the podcast before, so he's a returning guest. Last time, the episode that I published with Tiari was called Getting Where You Want to Go in Your Geospatial Career. There'll be a link to that in the show notes. But but if you've got questions around your career, this might be a great place to start as well. So go back through the archive and, and check out that episode. This time around, we're again focusing on careers, but this time it's all about making a change mid-career, perhaps moving away from geospatial entirely, or perhaps moving to a different segment within the geospatial industry, or simply deciding to focus on something different. Either way, it's a big move. Once you've built up a certain level of expertise and experience in a certain role, you know, there's a lot of sunk costs involved. And I think it's worth exploring, like, well, what happens? What, what do you do if, if one day you decide that, that you want to try something new? Just before we get started today, I want to say a really heartfelt thank you to Martin Vamexel. He has generously decided to sponsor this podcast via Patreon. So thank you very much to him and the other sponsors of this podcast. I really appreciate it. Without you, it, it simply wouldn't be possible. So thank you very much. And if supporting this podcast is something you might be interested in, there'll be a link in the show notes to the Patreon account where, where you can do the same. And any support would be greatly appreciated. Hi, Thierry. Welcome to the podcast. So you, you've been here before, and today on the show, I want to try something different. I'd like to, instead of an interview, I'd like to make this more of a discussion. And the reason for that is I would like to focus on this idea of changing career paths mid-career. So I'm 45 your mid-career as well. I don't want to put an age on you, but I'm happy to sort of throw myself under the bus. And we're in that situation where we are trying to, or are act, you know, we're actively seeking to, to change our career paths. And I'm pretty confident we're not the only ones out there. So today, instead of an interview or such, I'd like to try and have a discussion. I think before we do that, though, could, could you just introduce yourself to the audience, please? Yeah. Hi, good morning, Daniel. It's great to be here again. Yeah, so I'm Thierry. I've worked in geospatial for all my career, which is over 25 years. So uh, I'm only a few years older than you, so that's fine. Yeah, so I've worked across multiple industries, predominantly energy and environment for large companies and small. And um, for those of the listeners who haven't heard me on the previous podcast, so a couple of years ago, I requalified as a coach. Uh, an executive coach and career coach. Uh, so I've been doing that for a couple of years, which I really enjoy. Uh, but at the same time, I'm still working in an employed job as well. So um, I'm, I'm having, I'm, I've got two jobs at the same time, basically, working for GTAC Group currently. They're an energy transition company, uh, which I really enjoy working for as well. So and I suppose that's kind of the thing we want to talk about. How, how can you reinvent your career when you've already got some experience and, and you've got exploring your options and all that kind of thing so i've certainly done that myself in recent years and also in other jobs i've had to reinvent myself multiple times so so yeah i look forward to this discussion daniel yeah yeah me, me too and like i said at the start we're, we're 
like at a similar phase here. We're we're at a similar place in terms of our careers. This idea of reinventing ourselves, figuring out a new direction. Part of this for me anyway was figuring out what I don't want to do. That realization that this is not for me anymore. So my question to you is, how did you come to that decision? How, how did you decide or how did you know it's time to make a change? It's time to start moving in another direction? Yeah, it was part of an evolution, really, I'd say. So when I, I mean, like I said, I worked for large companies than for smaller ones. And so I was in leadership positions at large multinationals. But then I went into consulting. I worked for a consultancy called Expertot for a while, which was great. I was flying around the world doing really interesting projects. And and during my consulting engagements, I always what I really enjoyed was speaking to stakeholders around the business, you know, just on a one-to-one basis, just seeing what they were doing, uh, trying to understand their requirements. And in those conversations, I always thought that it felt a bit like I'm um, like a therapy session almost in some cases. You know, they really opened up about their issues, about their hopes, their aspirations. And and after these meetings, which, like I say, they were for consulting engagements, for understanding their requirements, quite a lot of people they always you know like they were like, oh, I really enjoyed this conversation because I, I didn't have anybody else to talk to on these issues. You no, know? and I was there as an external outsider, so I was kind of neutral. And and I started thinking, yeah, maybe. I would enjoy working as a coach because quite a lot of these meetings were a, a little bit, you know, like like uh, we were coaching. And then I reflected, you know, in previous leadership positions where I was, I always like to enable staff on our teams, and I use an approach, you know, that was based on coaching as well. So over time, it just gradually crystallized that um, I would really enjoy coaching. So I want to do more about that. And then um, a couple of years ago, uh, when the world changed and with COVID, I had an opportunity with my then employer, GTEC, to go down to three days a week, which which I grabbed with both hands, actually, because it then gave me the chance to qualify as a coach. And as a result, then I, I started working as a coach on a freelance basis. And then after the pandemic or towards the end of the pandemic, I had the opportunity with GTEC to go back to, to like a normal roster, like a full-time role which actually i thought no i don't want to do that anymore (laughs) i enjoy the coaching too much as well as doing the other thing but i just enjoyed the variety so for me it was kind of it was partly an active choice but it was also partly a reactive choice because i was reacting to the opportunity of of being offered like a part-time role in the pandemic so yeah i don't know would i have done the same thing if there hadn't been a pandemic and would i have had the guts to just say to my employer right i want to go down to part-time i don't know it's hard to know but um i certainly enjoyed the outcome and um i haven't really looked back since i mean i've just i just loved it so so at the moment i work as a coach on a part-time basis and i work as a consultant and project manager on a part-time basis in the energy industry so and these two roles they they seem to enrich each other I think that's that's a really good insight or a really good question to ask yourself. Is it a reactive choice or an active choice? And, and, and perhaps we can dive into that a little bit later on. When you were talking to these people, you're having these inf- interesting conversations with, with some of your business stakeholders and you realized, hey, th- this is for me. I, I like this and I can see a need for it because these people are responding in, in a really positive w- way to this discussion. And, and the, you said they were talking about their, their hopes and dreams, their career path, w- where they wanted to go. But was there often alignment between their actions and where they wanted to go? Uh, that's a good question. 
Yes and no. I mean, it depends obviously on the organization and the person. But yeah, often I did find that quite a lot of these people, they just were resigned to the fact that, especially those who worked in, in large organizations, that you know, it is what it is. You know, things weren't going to change for them. They just had, had to make the, the most out of the situation they were in. But it depends on the culture of the organization, of course. And the organizations are consulted for where uh, the culture is really collaborative, supportive, and whatever. And, and, and there, you could really see the difference where they were inspired by their mission. So there was more a case of how can we help them move, move up to the next level rather than just sort out a whole bunch of issues. But yeah, so you, what I really found interesting uh, about these engagements was that you come across a lot of people across all disciplines. So I wasn't just talking to geospatial people then. I was talking to, to specialists in all kinds of industry domains across the energy life cycle. Uh, so from engineers to HSC people, environment people, uh, to economists and all the rest of them, all the all people who were using geospatial products and, and tools and outputs. Yeah, so you really got an insight into into not just the life within the organization, but also the, the kind of insights into their own careers and, and, and where they were at with their careers and what their hopes were. Yeah, so it, it's hard to generalize, basically. But it, it, was, it was very interesting. It was a real, real learning for me as well. But it sounds like the environment that they were in really had an impact on how they approached the situation, if they were just resigned to the fact that this is it, I'm stuck, I'll make the best of it, or if they could see opportunities. And I guess this too also impacted those people in terms of the kinds of decisions they made. Were they reactive decisions or active decisions? Maybe in the same way that you made a almost a reactive decision to, well, I guess it was both, to change career paths. You had the opportunity, there was a trigger, something new presented itself, you reacted to that and then acted upon like moving in the direction of, of becoming a coach. Yeah, no, exactly. So I suppose you, you've, I've had to have that trigger. Uh, without it, I don't know if I'd, if I'd done the same, perhaps not, or perhaps I, I would have waited longer. I don't know what would have happened. But um, if you have a trigger, I guess it's easier to change. Even I see with people, also with people I worked as a coach now, people who've had a, a trigger, and no, that's not always always initially helpful at least you know, if you've been made redundant or whatever so that doesn't seem like a helpful trigger but but actually in retrospect a lot of people say after they've been made redundant and yes that's traumatic in a lot of cases but then once they made a change because they were forced to make a change and i've worked with people who to help them through the change and they ended up in a position which was much better in every every regard. You know, it's more interesting work. It was better aligned with their values. It was inspiring them. And and looking back, a lot of these people say, well, actually, being made redundant was the best thing that happened to me. So it's also about turning adversity into a new adventure using an attitude you know, that's, which is more like a growth mindset rather than a resistant mindset so, or, or like this mindset, okay, this is happening to me. I'm at the end of this. And instead of being reactive, you, 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 you take back control and turn it into something active, into something proactive. So, yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting when you say active-reactive because um, you can have a trigger, but you can also come to the realization yourself that actually you've been doing this for too long. You need to change you haven't got your heart in it anymore or it's not really right for you anymore or, or your aspirations have changed. So yeah, it, it really depends. 
So th- this was definitely the the way for me. It was a, I think you described it as an evolution at the start of the conversation. It was definitely an evolution for me. And the, the way it started off was I was telling myself a story. And the story was things like, I should be pleased about this. I should be really you know, glad that I have this job. I should really appreciate it. I have good colleagues. I have a stable income. I earn you know, enough money to, to provide for my family. You know, I am building a future. All these things. I don't have to worry about it. And I even told myself the story that I am excited about the things that I'm working on. It was the kind of stuff that, that everyone says to each other. How's it going at work? Oh, yeah, great colleagues, you know, interesting work, da 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 da. And then you list off all these things that you should be really grateful for, but I think a lot of the times we're not. At least I wasn't. And it was this constant story that I was telling myself, it's good, it's good, it's good. But, but it was in conflict with the, the way I was actually feeling. I, I didn't feel that at all. I thought that I should because everyone else was feeling it. And I guess I didn't want to be an outsider. It was really tough to make that decision to either actively look for that trigger, look for that reason, or just to create it myself, to be active and say, look, I'm out. I've got to keep moving forward. I've I've got to try something else. And it's a slow sort of creeping thing, or at least it was for me. And it was an incredibly difficult situation to be in for a long time, actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon. It's kind of the the struggle between security and freedom, which I think everybody feels. You want to feel secure. So if you're in a secure job, even if it doesn't really tick all of your boxes it still ticks the box of security and and change is scary whatever it is it's, it's just we're, we're not really wired for change so so we like things to be stable and secure and yeah, that can lull a lot of us into this okay at least i've got a secure job i shouldn't really complain everything else looks too risky uh if you've got a mortgage and kids or whatever as well then then it's, it raises the stakes in terms of security so you want to probably reduces uh, your risk tolerance for trying new things because because like what if it doesn't work out then i would have made life worse for everyone in the family so you know (laughs) and and i think that's quite normal but it takes quite a lot of reflection and awareness to realize that that is the situation you're in quite a lot of people go through life and they don't really ask themselves these questions that you've asked yourself daniel where they just go through the motions and i guess Referring back to our earlier conversation about when I was working as a consultant in organizations, quite a lot of those people I felt were going through the motions. They were just resigned to the fact that they were there. It was a well-paid job in a big organization, but, but you could tell no, they were completely miserable. So it takes a lot of guts, basically, to, to realize, first of all, where you're at, to be honest with yourself. And then it takes even more guts to do something about it. So it's not easy. And in, in a lot of cases, it's easier to have a trigger that is forced upon you because then you're forced to do something. And then, as I said earlier, that can actually lead to, to, to really positive things, even if at first it's a horrible experience. I think that there's something about being in the mindset of, of change, being open to change. So when we had an e-commerce store, I read once that uh, you should market to people that were in the mindset of change. Are, are they shifting house? Are they moving house? Are they shifting address? Do they have a birthday? Is there an event coming up? Because they, they were already open to change in some way, shape, or form. Marketing to people and trying to make change happen that weren't ready for change, that were comfortable, that were just where they wanted to be, and that the, this was a much more difficult and expensive task. So I think waiting for that trigger, like having change forced upon you, uh, I think probably is, is not a, it's not a bad thing in, in some regards. I would like to say a, a couple more things here. So you, you talked about 
all those reasons why we shouldn't change, you know, the security, the job security, you know, in terms of paying the bills, the mortgage, you know, providing for the family, all, all of those things that we as adults feel. There's something else there. There's that mental security of being an expert. I've been doing this for a while. I have you know, built up a significant career around you know, these skills here, solving these kinds of problems. And there's a certain amount of personal attachment, your own identity to the tasks that you've been doing. And I think this also requires a lot of sort of mental gymnastics to say, well, I could do other things as well. I might have to start lower down the chain, but, but I can do this. I can make it work. And giving up that security as well of, of being an expert. Is that something that you've maybe experienced yourself or, or seen in some of your coaching clients? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point, actually. As you say, you know, there is a lot of security in knowing that you're an expert in something. And that then gets wrapped up with your own identity. So you see yourself as that kind of expert in whatever it is. Well, I don't know, if, let's say you're a kind of 3D expert. So, and, and you've grown your career on the basis of, of what you've done in 3D stuff, let's say. So there's then you know, this, this idea that 3D is who you are, that that's who you are as an expert. So, so then that limits you in what else you could do. But I think as you go through your career with that, I mean, you, I'm sure you could build a whole career just becoming a 3D expert. I'm, I'm not saying that that's, no, that's not right, but you should do it intentionally. Uh, if that's what you want, that's great. But if you want to grow in other directions, it's, it's true that you say it, it can actually be scary to leave that behind because you've invested a lot in that and, and it's become part of your identity. But as we go through careers and lives, our aspirations and our you know, the way we work, the way we think, do evolve, they do change over time. You may have become a 3D expert because that's what you were interested in at, at I don't know, at university, and then you went into your job and you became a 3D expert there and, and so on and so on. But over time, you, you may find that, no, I don't know, for example, you might want to go into a leadership position uh, or you might want to move between industries or you might feel inspired by new things that you come across and with some people, you know, there's the danger that you always stay, stay completely attached to your initial aspiration that you had at the start of your career, and, and you don't revisit that. Uh, whereas as we grow as people, you know, our aspirations could well change, our values can change and evolve. Even if, if you want to do other things, then you get scared of, of changing. So what you can do then is really you can look at your transferable skills, you know, because it's not wasted effort having invested all of all of your career in, in a particular specialism. Yes, it's scary leaving it behind, but you can also look at what, what does that provide me that I can take forward into a new type of role. I mean, for my own example, now after working as a consultant for a few years, I found myself writing more and more proposals for tenders and stuff. And at GTEC now, where I also work on a part-time basis, I'm I seem to have come the chief proposal writer because they, because <laughs> they thought, well, I'm I'm really good at writing proposals, and that's what I'm doing more and more, and that's that's what my job has morphed into now. So, and the proposals that I write are really about about energy projects in geothermal, hydrogen, all this kind of other things, where geospatial is only really a very small part of the total proposal. So. In that sense, I've kind of left geospatial behind, but actually geospatial has given me a really good good skill set that I could use to understand the wider picture and to be able to write proposals that address the total you know, projects in these energy sectors. 
And it's, it's possible to move roles within industry sectors. You could either change role within the same sector or you could try using the same role in a new industry sector. So it's not like you have to make huge changes in one step, but you can you can just do like like one step at a time. And yeah, just 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 experiment basically. Just just see see what interests you, what excites you, and then just gradually lean into those areas. Yeah, I, I like that idea of sort of doing uh, this being a, a gradual process. You mentioned a few sort of key things here. I'd like to to highlight just for a second. One of them was this idea of reframing. So you're talking about my existing skills. How can I reframe them? So yeah, I'm used to working with big geospatial data. Oh, we could reframe that as just being big data, for example. Like, I realize there's some differences, but there's more similarities, I think, than differences here. But this is a case of, again, having that sort of mental flexibility to be able to do that. I've often heard people talking about geo-adjacent activities, you know, that the crossover between geospatial and all sorts of other stuff. And I think this is a good way of thinking about those transferable skills that you're talking about. I wanted to touch onto this idea that you mentioned before of being intentional about your career path. And I think to do that, could you please explain the difference between being opportunistic in terms of our careers and being intentional in terms of our careers? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you're intentional about your career, that means you have a clear interest uh, in something. You have a, an interest that really excites you and you want to build a career around that. And if that's the case, I don't know, just, just let's take an example. I don't know. So you want to become a, a GIS expert in the environment sector. And you could quite easily build a whole career around that, you know, that you, you become uh, not just a GIS specialist, but also an, an expert in the environment industry. So, so that you can therefore apply solutions and problem solving for that particular industry. So, and if you're intentional about that, then, then, you know, what kind of jobs to look for, how to progress within roles. Uh, you could join, for example, I don't know, a large engineering company, become the expert for particular environmental workflows, and then work your way uh, through that route. If you're not intentionally, if you're more opportunistic driven or you haven't got a clear interest, which is also okay, um, that it's the case for quite a lot of people, then I'd say lean into things, just experiment. No, just see what interests you and then just gradually lean into those areas. So and, and it's not like you, you have to change jobs immediately or something like that, but you could uh, you could job craft a bit. You, know? you could try and incorporate elements in your job that interest you and see how they work out. And then if they work out reasonably well, you could le- lean into them more and then, then you take your job into a new direction. And depending on the organization you work for, your employer will probably support you in that so, so that you can move around a bit. Maybe they'll move you around the organization a bit so you can experiment a bit, experience in the different areas of the business. But the key there is to experiment. Now, you could also experiment in your own time. If your job is is kind of framed in a way that you can't really experiment, then you could do stuff in your own time, start some some hobby projects or do a bit of freelancing on the side or something like that and see how that works and see how that develops and experiment that way. But you have to do something. If, if you don't do anything, then stuff won't change or stuff will change around you and not always in, in your interest. So, But you have these two approaches. You can be intentional, which is good, but you don't have to be intentional. But then in that case, just be clear on on your interest and what you're doing, what you want to experiment with. When you're saying that if you're not intentional, if you don't do anything, like nothing will happen, I often think of this as in the way that if I'm not making decisions, I'm pretty confident somebody else will be making decisions for me, organizing my life for me. Sometimes this is great. 
And sometimes it's less than ideal. Sometimes it could lead to that situation where you're feeling like a victim of, of your circumstance as opposed to being in like a, a, an active, proactive person in an environment. Yeah, no, indeed. I, I want to go back to what you said about this idea of job crafting, because this seems to me like an easy way of leaning in, of, of doing these little experiments. So I think the idea here is that you are entrepreneurial internally. So you're looking for opportunities to get involved in different projects you know, within the company organization you're working for. You're making proposals, you're, you're pitching, you're trying to push your career in a certain direction, being proactive about it. I just want to share a bit of my own experience with this. I was very much like this when I started my, my first job and my second job and even my third job. And it, it was interesting because I have no problem generating ideas. I am an idea generating machine <laughs> and I need to be a little bit careful with how many ideas I expose other people to and, and think through them and then you know, choose the ones I think are going to work and then pitch them and all that kind of stuff. And this was like generating ideas and pitching ideas was incredibly motivating to me. But what I found was when they weren't working and I, was, I kept getting no, 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 no. I, I wasn't good enough at changing my packaging, at, at remarketing the idea if I thought it was a good idea. I wasn't persistent enough. And oftentimes I just accepted that no as forever. No, this is not going to happen. And it was incredibly demotivating. And what I found was that with time, I stopped caring. I stopped caring and I stopped contributing ideas. I stopped thinking about you know, how we could do things differently, how we could make change happen. It was just too much work. And this was a good sign for that. This was, you could see this as being something really, really negative or something positive because I was figuring out that, hey, that this is not for me. This organization is, is not for me because of, I, I don't see the room to grow. I don't see an opportunity to sort of take my career in the direction I want to go in. So I think this can be a great way of testing the waters. You get to try different things if your idea lands, if the pitch works and you get to try it out, you get to run these experiments. Or if you're, are being proactive about it, packaging in a different direct, in different ways, being empathetic to the people that you're you're trying to convince. And if it's not, if you're doing those things and it's not working, this could also be a great sign that mm, perhaps this is not for you. Maybe you should consider moving on. Yeah, indeed. Also, I think if you work inside an organisation and you want to experiment, I think if you want to propose ideas and for them to have any chance of flying, those ideas you propose need to be connected to, to the company's overall strategy and mission. If it's just random ideas that you're interested in, but it's not clear how they're going to help the company, then you're probably better off just doing that in your own time and and, and then do it that way, maybe. So I have found in the past, also, with, if I'm honest with myself, I, I tend to get interested in stuff as well. I'm a bit of an ideas person as well, like you, Daniel. And um, I just love generating ideas and I, I love, playing with things, experimenting with things. But, but sometimes I had to realize that actually it wasn't really contributing to, to, to like the company's bottom line or to anyone else's. It was just something I was interested in, which is fine. But then in that case, it's just a hobby. So it's good to be clear about who, who are you serving with your idea? That's probably a useful question to ask yourself is, who is this helping if I do this? And then maybe talk to people who, who may be potential users of, of your service or solution and, and then try and frame it that way so, so that you're not wasting time or effort on, on stuff that nobody needs or wants. I think that's a really, really important caveat. If I could go back in time, I would ask myself a couple of questions before I pitched an idea. Like, who is it for? What is it for? If it doesn't work, do I get to try again? 
and I would be way more intentional about the ideas that I chose to, to pitch the organization, way more empathetic to their overall goals, how it was going to help them get to where they were trying to go. And I would be way more persistent as well. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Daniel. So you're, you're between jobs now, as far as I understand. So, and I've spoken to a number of people who've taken a career break and stuff, and that, which can also be a very appealing option, actually, if you have the opportunity to take a career break, to take, I don't know, a few weeks, a few months, or even a year out. Is that something you think could be helpful to you or anyone else? Or how do you see that about, you know, when you actively take a break from your career? For whatever reason, I think it could be like obviously depending on your situation. If you have the the resources to do that, I would do it. Like, firstly, I think if you're thinking that thought, there's probably something going on there. You know, if you're thinking this could be a great idea, this is for me. There could be a very good reason for that. And taking that active decision, being proactive about it, and giving yourself permission. That, you know, this is time where where I can think. This is time where I can go away. I can shut down. I can, you know, what are my options? I think that that's really, really smart. Yeah. I would be quite intentional about that time, though. I would have a, a, a bit of a program or, you know, points that I want to think about, things that I want to research, questions that I want to ask. I, I would talk to a lot of people during that time as well. For me personally, I would find it difficult to make an informed decision about some of my ideas, perhaps my future career path, simply by going up into the mountains and, and walking around for a couple of months. Yeah. That would be a great start, but I think I'd be looking for some sort of confirmation, feedback about my ideas, where I thought I could go from, from other people in the, in the field, you know, some people that I uh, could trust. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've, I've spoken to a number of people who have taken career breaks, or you know, obviously especially these people tend to be kind of mid-career and it's interesting the range of views you got because you know, some people I spoke to them like, oh yeah I'm so privileged to be able to take time out which is true I mean it is maybe a privilege but but they were almost almost feeling like they were guilty you know and they didn't really quite know how to use their time in the most productive ways like you say you you would have a plan Daniel what to do with your time and I think I would I would agree with that if if you just say oh, okay I'm going to take a year out traveling that's fine but you may come back after a year of traveling and realize that you haven't really progressed in where you want to be. Now you just returned to, to the same point where you started. You had a nice time while you were away, but it may not have brought your, your evolution forward in any way. Other people may want to take time out to kind of requalify, do a new qualification. I've talked to people who've asked me, you know, you know what should they do with, you know, you know, they want to take a break, but, but how should they? And they were thinking about doing a, a master's degree or something like that. And I asked them the question, so what do you expect to get out of this degree? You know, how does it help you move to your next step? And, um, and they weren't really clear about that. The thing was just you have to be careful that taking some time out or, or whether even if you, if you think you're using your time productively, like doing a qualification, that it's not just another form of procrastination. Uh, that you're not just doing it just to occupy yourself because you can't, you are not really inclined to reflect and be honest with yourself. So instead, you distract yourself with another qualification. Whereas a qualification can be useful. I've, I've spoken to people who, who used, for example, a master's degree to get into the geospatial industry because they, 
that they didn't have any geospatial experience as such. They, they were maybe from an IT background, so they didn't a geospatial masters, and they used that to help themselves get into a kind of Earth observation job or anything like that, which can work. But you have to be very clear about your motives, I think. But you know, if you can take a career break, it can be a really rewarding experience, I think. And um, I've played with that thought myself, although I haven't really done it yet, at least not in that way. But yeah, it, it could be really exciting, you think, if you take like some time out. And if I said to you, okay, you, you can have a year off. Uh, you, you don't have to worry about money or anything. You can just take a year off. You know, what would you do with it? What would you like to get out of it? Uh, where would you want to end up at the end of it? It's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting, but it's also a massive responsibility. Because I think that something in the back of your head was saying like, this is a privilege. Don't waste it. What, what are you going to do? And I, I agree with a lot of what you said there about this idea of being, I, I think we're, me personally, I'm, I'm easily distracted. You know, I can I tell myself that story that, yeah, I, I'm busy doing something. I'm achieving something. And I look at what I'm doing some days. I'm like, well, this is not moving me forwards. It's not, this is distracting me from making that hard decision over there. This is distracting me from talking to that person, or writing that email that's difficult. Or asking for feedback. This is just this is getting in the way of all of those things that are actually going to make a difference. And I, I personally have to be really careful with myself around that. But what am I doing? Is it meaningful work, or is it simply a distraction so I can tell myself, "Oh, look how busy I was today," kind of thing. I'm a big fan of. of we talked about experimentation before, so I experiment probably not nearly enough. But the experiments that I run normally, I don't mind if they cost me money or if they if they require something of me, you know, they require me to reach out to the CEO of big company and, and pitch to them. If they require me to uh, put 200 you know, US, 200 euro on the line and say, well, I'm going to run this, this paid experiment. I'm going to employ uh, a, a freelancer on, on Upwork to do something for me. I'm going I'm to try these things because I've got skin in the game. You know, it matters then, and, I, and I'm way more intentional a, about it. And I find I don't waste nearly as much time, you know, chasing chasing the free thing or chasing that sort of doing that sort of busy work, that distraction. And instead, like saying, "Well, yeah, this is going to cost me something. There's a price to pay. Am I willing to pay the price?" Yeah, indeed, no, that's, that's very true. Um, so what's what's your view then on qualifications, Daniel? Because I know, I mean, you've interviewed loads of people on on your podcast, and I, I guess you know a number of them. I mean, all of them are qualified in something, obviously, but in any of those conversations, when you reflect back, was, it, was there anything that kind of inspired you about people taking qualifications or certifications or like, that they did ever come up in conversations? Yeah, so it's, it's come up quite a bit, actually. It's something I'm, I'm interested in, too. Like, what do people think they got out of it? When I think about qualifications, I think about... Um, if I think about applying for a job and having a certain sort of official qualification, like the, the one I have from the University of Christchurch in New Zealand, my, my master's degree in, in science, that opened a lot of doors for me, partly because it was some work that I could show people and they knew what a master's degree was. Ah, oh, right. I've got one of them too. Great. You're in. And I think that that's a great sort of head start. But I think increasingly... I've heard employers talk about this, and this is definitely my, my personal opinion. Increasingly, it's more about the work because lots of people have a master's degree. It's difficult to separate, to, to sort of cut through the noise, if you will, because that year I graduated from university. A bunch of other people graduated from university with basically the same title, the same degree. And you can't, 
look at us and say, oh, who did something different? Who, you know, you could look at grades, but what do grades actually mean? Honestly, did you have a bad day? Were, are you terrible at writing? I don't need a great writer. I need an awesome programmer. I need someone who understands, you know, these data sets and these tools. So for me, I'm, I'm more about, I think it's more interesting for people to have an online portfolio. I think it's more interesting for people ha- to have done some work that they can show people outside of, of their degree, of their certification, some real hands-on work. I did this. I didn't, I didn't wait for someone to give me permission to do, this, to do this. I went out by myself and did this thing here. Here's the work that I did. This is my GitHub repository. These are the, the, this is the code that I've contributed. These are the projects that I've run. These are the people that I've talked to. These are the blog posts that I've written. This is my work. And I think that shows a lot. Yeah, exactly. I, I think uh, qualification is obviously really important at the start of your career because that's your way into a career. But um, as your career progresses, it's really all about the learn because you're learning all the time anyway. And, and for all the stuff that you're learning, you don't always get the degree certificate or anything like that. You, you just keep on learning. You keep on doing stuff. And I agree that it's more important for employees to know the work you can do, the experience you have, than, than what kind of formal qualifications you've got. Like we said, I think qualifications can be useful, especially if you want to switch, I don't know, industry sectors, like, or if you want to take a break out, if you're intentional about it, if you want to get into a new area, or, or maybe you just want to do a degree or a qualification just be, because of, of your love of learning and, and you just want to have some structured time learning which can be really exciting as well. So it depends, I guess. But I was just curious in, in your views on that. So that's uh, interesting. I, so this is slightly off topic here, but before I started this podcast, I think I recorded something like 20 or 30 episodes and edited them and made a whole podcast feed and put it over there. And I was testing myself, you know, will I lose interest in this? Is this a promise that I can make and keep? And so I didn't go to podcast school. I didn't sign up for courses. The test was like, will this hold my interest? Can I do it? Am I just as excited at the end of creating these 30 episodes that no one is ever going to hear? Or have I lost interest? It was a little experiment. I'm kind of surprised that I don't hear more people doing that. Like before I sign up for the five-year university course, testing themselves or, you know, going to that next level of education, test yourself. Can you sit down for a week and learn about super resolution? Are you still motivated at the end of it? Was it exciting to go through it? I understand that we all learn differently, but I think that that little test there might save you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, oh, at the end of the week, you know what? Super resolution, it's not for me. Machine learning, no thanks. I've tried. And, and sort of run that, run that little experiment. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, and the other thing you can do to experiment is to have loads of informational interviews, as I call them, where you just have conversations with people who work in fields or organizations that interest you. And you can just talk to them. You could just hit them up and say, look, uh, I admire what you do. I'd be interested to know more about it. And, and just have those kind of conversations. And if you do that, you'll find that people are always happy to talk about the stuff they do that they're excited about. And there you can kind of experiment without even doing it yourself. You're just learning through the experience from other people. And, and you will learn through these conversations you know, what resonates with you, you know, what's, what excites you, what, what, what would you want to do. And, and you learn about the industry, uh, you build your network. So it's, it's useful in all kinds of ways. You now, these informational interviews is, is often something I recommend to people, especially when they're considering a switch in job or role or career or whatever, just to, to talk to people 
No, so it's not like you're you're applying for a job. You just you just purely wanting to find out you know, what it's like to work there. Or you can speak to people and say, so how did you get into this career, or into this job, or into this company, and then how was it for you? And these kind of questions can be really illuminating. I recorded an episode called I, th- I think it was something like uh, getting your dream job in Earth Observation, and this was a huge part of the the guest's strategy. These informational interviews. And he said, it was, you know, just like you're saying now, it was great for his network. It was great for, you get a lot of inside knowledge. People open up. It's a relatively informal you know, conversation. And yeah, he said it was just absolutely brilliant, really informative, really, really helpful. And of course, built his network. Yeah. So, so you're running a business. You have the, this coaching business uh, on the side, something you got two jobs. What was it like for you the first time you charged money for something? I'm still on the sort of train of running experiments and testing things. And for me, charging money for something is a great experiment. Yeah, it's the acid test, isn't it? It's, it's the acid test whether your service is needed or not. Exactly. Can, can you talk us through what was your approach there? So you did your qualification as a coach. I remember you said you, you were doing some freelancing at the start. What was the build up to charging money? And what was, the, what, what was it like charging money? What was that experience like first time around? So as part of my coaching qualification, which is quite intensive over half a year or more, actually, I had to do quite a lot of free coaching because you need to get real practice as coaching as part of the certification and the accreditation. And so to do that, I initially did a lot of free coaching, which was win-win. So I got to practice and you know, the people I was coaching got free coaching, which was great for them. And then after a while, obviously, I mean, it would have been easy just to continue giving free coaching because everybody loves a free service and I had I had a huge waiting list for that, actually. Uh, so I, I could have just continued with that, but um, but yeah, but I had to switch because I didn't want this to just be a hobby. I wanted to turn it into a real thing. So I started marketing myself as a professional coach, and as a result, you no, know, I started getting some inquiries. I, actually, I got some inquiries as a result of the podcast we did <laughs> a couple of years ago, uh, which was great as well. So with these inquiries, I was like, okay, here's my rate. And already that statement to say, okay, here's what I'm charging was quite a major thing because you think, oh my God, am I charging too much or too little or you don't really know how to price yourself. I looked around with other coaches or charges, so I I, I kind of took an average of that uh, with with kind of my experience level and all that. So, um, and then I say, here's my rate. And the person said, okay. And I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> I've got my first customer. And then, um, so I wrote the invoice for that um, shortly after. And it was just an amazing feeling because I knew then that, that it was a real thing. It was working. What, what I constructed, you know, you know, like this coaching service I've, I've built was actually needed. You now, here was a person who wanted it, needed it. So we started coaching and, and, and this person came back for more and I started signing up more customers and, and it went from there really. And then also through word of mouth, um, I started getting good reviews, uh, really good feedback. I loved doing what I did. Um, people at work, you've got really good results and it was just amazing. But you're right, that first invoice or, or, or the first conversation to say, okay, here's my rate, this is what I'm charging was quite a major milestone because you're basically putting like this value on yourself to say here's what i'm worth and i went into the conversation saying i'm not going to negotiate i'm not haggling here's my rate and if it's a no it's a no then we'll just walk away and that's fine but i'm not gonna 
because it was a statement to say, okay, I believe in myself. Here's what I'm worth. And yeah, it was great. It was a really good feeling. I guess it must have been the same for you, Daniel, with your first uh, first customer. Yeah, yeah, it was. But th- there was such a tension there. But just like you, I- I'd already decided that, that this wasn't going to be a hobby. This was going to be a, a business. And so I wasn't giving away things for free. But that said, I, I ran, like for this podcast, for example, I ran a very small test at the start. When, when I started this, I was four episodes in, four or five, something like that. And I remember saying to someone, I want to test this. Could this be a business? Do they see value in this is what I wanted to know. And instead of saying, you know, pay to be on the podcast or pay to sponsor or something like this, I, I said, look, we've got this big audience on, on Facebook. And we did at the time. And I'd been running Facebook ads for our e-commerce store. I said, will you give me a hundred US dollars and I will amplify your episode out to to this group of people here which are eager to hear it you know, but but i need your help to get there kind of thing so it, it wasn't like will you just give me a hundred us dollars for your services it was kind of a soft introduction but the point was for me that it had to be something that was gonna that they were gonna feel they were gonna feel that a little bit it's a decision it wasn't just and they weren't a big company it wasn't just like yep you know take the money they had to make an active choice and they gave me the money and i i ran the ad and we um you know, that the, the reach was amplified, more people listened to the episode, all that kind of stuff. But that test, that, that was really important for me. But there was, there's a lot of tension around, still around me asking for money for stuff, saying this is what it's worth, but you need to do it. And it's the only real test. I think a lot of the times we ask for feedback from people, would you pay for this? And, you know, if they're friends, family, people we know, or people that just want to be nice, that care for us, that they might sort of, confirm just like yeah yeah of course oh it's worth lots i'll definitely do that kind of thing but until they have some skin in the game and say here is the money then i, I think it's an invalid test it doesn't count for anything yeah yeah it is the asset test really isn't it yeah so we've come a long way in the conversation we've been talking about uh how you know it's time to change the steps you might want to take some of some of the processes you can go through talked about some asset tests you know what to do how to test this how to experiment the kinds of experiments we we could be thinking about running if, if we want to make a change in our career path. What was it like for you when you told people? Because you can do all of this stuff in your head, you know, or not publicly. But you said earlier on, you had done your coaching, you were doing free training, and then you started to market yourself as a coach. So you had to go out and tell people, hey, I, I'm a coach now. This is what I do. This is the services I can provide. Was there any tension around that for you, telling your friends and family, your colleagues, your network, hey, I, I'm going in this direction? This is a skill I have. I believe in it. It's worth something. Yeah. Um, I think what I did originally was um, I, I did it mostly through, through my website. So I drafted my website uh, for my coaching website, True Horizon Coaching. So I, I did an initial draft of that, and I shared that with a few friends and just, just to get their feedback, say, look, this is what I want to do. What do you think? And I kind of did it that way at first. And the feedback I got was, was yeah, like you say, friends are always friendly. Of course, they say they wouldn't say anything horrible, which is why I asked them first. <laughs> but, because if your friends already say, oh, this looks a bit crap, then, or it's, then you really know there's something wrong with it. But no, I mean, it, it just went from there. And then, I mean, that in itself didn't feel so scary for me, at least, because I mean, it's easy to build a website. Um, you just put it out there. You, you you put it on social media. You you see what the reaction is. You point people towards it. So that element for me, I, I just found that exciting because for me, there was 
turning the idea from my head into something you can actually see and then sharing that with people. And at that point, it wasn't a scary thing yet about charging, which for me was the big thing. And also, maybe the other thing, because I also had the other job, that was the thing talking to my my employer to say, I want to do this. So I had to come to agreement with them that they were happy with that, of course. Uh, but they were very supportive. You know, they were great about it. So we came to an agreement um, to keep it all crystal clear and also ethical, of course, so that I would not be coaching anybody who could become a client of GTAC group. You know? so, we, so I basically don't coach people in the energy sector. That's, that's just to, to draw that clear line. So everything is, is crystal clear in that front which has worked well. I mean, I've had to decline a few customers because of that, but it wouldn't be ethical anyway to, to coach people who well, like who may have conflict of interest or, or, or put me in a position of conflict of interest. So, But that was really good. That worked out really well. So, And like I say, these two jobs I have, they actually enrich each other because, yes, I love working as a coach and it's amazing seeing the impact I make on that. And, it, and for me, it's a vehicle for learning. But I also, I also like being part of a team um, I'm really interested in the energy transition and, and also by still working in, in a company, I kind of still inhabit the world of my coaching clients so that I can really relate to that still because obviously they work in companies and they have jobs so that I'm not just a coach who works with people who, who are in a completely different world to me. So I still partially inhabit that world as well. So uh, and of course, I want to stay in touch with the geospatial industry as well, which I do through this job as well. So it's kind of, yeah, it's, I really find that they enrich each other. So it's it's a, ve- a vehicle for growth. I learn a lot through my coaching. What I've learned in coaching has given me confidence in my other job to grow there. So I've evolved there from consultant into other roles as well. And they really enrich each other. It's great. That's a really good point. So I guess what you're saying there is it's not a, a binary decision for you. It's not coaching or your, your work at, at GTEC. It can be both and they can enrich each other. They, they can work together. I think a lot of people when they're changing career paths, especially if they're creating their own career paths, like, like what you're doing and, and like what I'm trying to do, there's a feeling of, of perhaps failure if you're unable to, to make that jump, you know, to make it a binary. I'm just doing that now. Like, but, but that realization that it could easily be a a crossover there, there could be overlap there that, that could be really helpful for, for both sides yeah no exactly it doesn't have to be all or, or nothing no you can build your career as a portfolio career where you do multiple things at the same time and, and i guess that's especially suitable for people who, who like to experiment who are interested in lots of different things who don't want to constrain themselves to just one thing but it doesn't have to be all or nothing no you can do both i want to round off the conversation here with, with this sort of one final question this is around marketing. So let's say we've made the decision. We want to move off. We want to try these experiments internally in our company or externally. We've decided it's going to be a business, not, not just a hobby. So we want to make some money doing this. When you made those decisions you know, in terms of your coaching job, your coaching career, did you do any market research or was it purely like, I, re- I really like this. I'm getting good feedback. I'm going in that direction. Or did you look around and say, well, what, what is the need here? You talked about those informational interviews. I, I guess that was a form of, of market research. But did you do any other kind? Did you look at the density of coaches serving the, the particular area, in this case geospatial, that, that you were interested in? Or did, did you do something like that to try and figure out like, what, what does the competition look like? Yeah, I guess it was quite, quite organic, actually, when I think back to it. I didn't really 
um, I, I just had this really strong instinct that it's something not just I wanted to do, but also that there was potentially needed or wanted. You know, if if you uh, you probably have seen these icky guy in the diagrams, like these Venn diagrams, where the thing to aspire to in a career is is what you're passionate about. There's one Venn circle, and then one other is what the world needs. The other is what you can be paid for. And the fourth, what is that? I think is what you're uniquely good at or something like that. And I just had this hunch that I could build something in the center of that Venn diagram. And the coaching industry itself is highly saturated. So if you look across the coaching world, you know, there's loads of coaches in, and they work in all industry sectors and it's really pretty saturated. But when you look at you know, coaches, mentors in the geospatial industry it's actually i couldn't i didn't come across many there were a few who kind of all also working on a part-time basis i think or doing it as a as a kind of free thing on the side because they like to help people which which is also what i've done throughout my career which is great but there wasn't really anyone who was doing it professionally i don't think and also as part of it's kind of part of my qualification as i went through that and one of our assignments at the end was you no know, to create a professional profile for yourself where they force you to reflect on what's unique about you what you bring to your coaching clients and um whichever way i ended up looking at it and i tried different ways it always came back to well yes i could uh, yes i know about leadership i know about careers i know i'm into creativity well-being productivity vision strategy all these things but but there's loads of other coaches who do that too the unique thing was that I had a really good understanding of the geospatial industry and how that serves all other industries and and about I had a good understanding about the whole project life cycle about enterprise about organizations about business and and bringing that into a geospatial realm I mean I've coached people beyond geospatial as well which works of course I've worked with leaders in other disciplines in IT and and beyond that and I've coached the head teacher. I've coached people in in, in other domains like health. But um, I think the the uniqueness was around geospatial, and that that just whichever way I ended up looking at it, it always came back to that. Uh, and of course, I could go out there and just be a generic coach, but then I'd be one in a million coaches, which I could do, I guess. But there's nothing stopping me from that. But then it's harder to to see what in terms of marketing how I would present myself in terms of uniqueness it would be doable i guess i could because there's, there's transferable skills you know, i could bring in my geospatial mindset to the table but i always hear from people that they appreciate how i can tease out the key points and and and, and i could just map them out for them so maybe that is a geospatial mindset that i've unconsciously brought into coaching i don't know but um it's an interesting journey really it's just you have to take the time to kind of reflect and experiment and reflect some more and 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 just go and also go intuitively i think at least that that was the case for me Uh, it it was all very it all felt very intuitive well i i really want to thank you for your time i want to thank you for you know being so open and honest i I think a career path is a a very personal journey and i really appreciate you sharing it with us I, i hope that this conversation has has helped some people out there that are that are maybe having the same thoughts that are perhaps thinking the the same things as what we are that are are wanting to move on and and looking for some some direction 
And maybe even just looking to hear a story of, oh, there's other people like me too, knowing that they're not alone. So really, really, really appreciate your time. If there's someone listening to this and they want to reach out to you, where's the best place for them to do that? They can contact me through my website, truehorizoncoaching.com. That's probably the easiest. Or, or you can find me on Twitter, Thierry underscore G, and on LinkedIn, of course. So I think I'm possibly the only person in the world with the name Thierry Gregorius. So if you Google me, you'll probably find me one way or another. But yeah, no, it was interesting talking to you, Danny. I really appreciate it as well, because I think we are all on our own journeys. There are no right or wrongs. It's all about exploring and uh, trying new things and and just enjoying the journey as well. So uh, mm-hmm. no, I really appreciate this conversation, Daniel. Thank you. You're more than welcome. Oh, we'll, we'll have to get you back on again at some stage. <laughs> yes, we'll do that. So I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tiari. I want to point you towards a couple of resources which I think that you might find helpful, especially if you're thinking about your career in the geospatial world. Firstly, of course, uh, there's Tiari's website, True Horizon Coaching. I will put a link to that in the show notes. And we've actually published quite a few episodes now that are focused on career paths. So there'll be several links to those episodes in the show notes of, of this episode today. Or you can just scroll back through the archive in your podcast player and, and you'll find them there as well. So if you've been listening to this podcast or following Mapscaping or perhaps me personally on any social channels, you might have noticed that I'm going through this career change at the moment. I'm moving away from being a geospatial specialist. I I want to do something else. I want to focus my energies in a different direction. And that was part of the motivation for producing this episode. And what I found is people, when I tell people what I'm doing or when I share my, my journey, say, look, I'm going in the new direction and this is why. Sometimes I get people saying, what, you're brave. I wish I could do something like that. This is motivating. This is inspirational. And I guess what they don't see when they say that is that it's more a question of discomfort. And I personally, I, I don't see myself as being brave. I definitely don't see myself as being inspirational. I know that the reason I'm doing this is the discomfort of being in the same place that I am now, or being stuck, feeling like I'm not getting to where I want to go with my career, that I'm not doing the things that I'm interested in, that I'm not motivated by the thing that I spend so much of my time doing, that discomfort is simply greater than the discomfort of moving into the unknown, of trying something new, of risking something. So for me personally, it's not a question of being brave. It's just I am more uncomfortable feeling stuck than I am moving forward. Standing still is creates a greater level of discomfort. So why am I telling you this? Maybe you're thinking about making a career change yourself. And maybe you're thinking, oh, only the brave people can do this. Only inspirational people can do this. I don't have that in me. I'm not brave or inspirational. That's why I'm telling you this, because it doesn't have to be the case. In retrospect, I should have moved on years ago, but I didn't. I needed to wait for that discomfort to reach a level that forced me to change. But in many ways, I am reactive as opposed to being active. I'm reactively moving forward simply because I can't bear to stand still anymore. Okay, that's it for me. That's it for this week's episode. I really hope you'll take the time to join me again next week. If you want to reach out to me for whatever reason, visit mapscaping.com. You'll find uh, some social media profiles there. You'll also find an email address that you can contact me on. I would love to hear from you. Okay, we'll see you again soon. Bye.